All right, guys, how are y'all? Man, does that sound hot to me? There it is. Okay, that's getting a little bit better. I thought I felt like hot there for a second. Tonight, if you got your copy of God's Word, we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel. I'm excited to have the opportunity to speak to you guys tonight. Um, Pastor Jesse asked me some time ago if I would speak to you guys, and um, some things worked out where he thought he was going to be out, and he ended up being here. I was like, well, dude, you can take it. He's like, no, man, you're already signed up for the job. And so he left me with it, And so, which I'm excited. I love getting to, to teach and preach God's Word, and so I'm excited to be here with you guys and, uh, and go through this account with you. Um, as you're turning your Bible to 1 Samuel 17, uh, I normally try to not do this, but tonight it's, um, I don't have like a long time to do sermon series. And so we're going to go through the whole book, uh, the whole chapter of, uh, of 17, all right? So there's 58 verses, uh, but before you say, whoa, pastor, wait a second, there's 58 verses, but we're going to be in here until, like, I graduate college. Um, don't worry about that. We're just going to highlight some stuff, okay? Um, so the account of uh, David and Goliath. David is my utmost favorite character, favorite person, favorite role model in Scripture. I love David, beside Jesus Christ, obviously. I love Jesus Christ, Okay. All right, but I love me some David. David was awesome. David, the, the story that we're going to go through tonight in, uh, in chapter 17, this is the stuff that legends are made of. Okay, this guy is epic. All right, so uh, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, this is the account of David and Goliath. And like I said, this is stuff that legends are made of. David and this dude, this big dude, uh, and, and the, the account of this young hero that's standing against established powers. The Philistine army, uh, well-established, and they had their champion, right? And, and he's going against these established powers, but David is coming with inadequate resources, okay? David, you're going to see here as we go through chapter 17, he don't have all, all of the power and all of the resources that the rest of these guys have, uh, and we're going to cover some of that, uh, but he comes in with, with great faith, with a bold faith in God, and he comes in with a great courage. And he ends up winning the battle. All right, so is there anyone in here tonight that has not heard the story of David and Goliath? All right, so, all right, we got one person. We got, that's, hey, that's cool. That's why we're here tonight, which is even more exciting because I love it. All right, so uh, this is the account of David and Goliath. And, and we see in uh, chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 3, it kind of builds up. And it says, The Philistines were gathered here in the army of, uh, for battle. And they were gathered on Sakah, which belongs to, the, uh, to Judah, and they camped between Sakah and Azekah and Ephesdamim. Now Saul and his men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew the battle in their battle array to encounter the Philistines. All right, and the Philistines, of verse 3, stood on the mountain on one side of Israel. Uh, they stood on one side, and the Israelites stood on the other side with a valley in between them. All right, so verses 1 through 3 here lets us know kind of the location of what's going on. David has no clue at this time really what's going on in the, Israelite, uh, in the, in the Israelites' minds, okay? He's back home, he's shepherding his sheep, and he didn't know all of it was going on, uh, but he did know that his brothers were out to battle, and he did know uh, that, that they were fighting the Philistines. He just didn't know to the extent, right? And so the Valley of Allah here is a triangle-shaped valley, and it's located on the western edge of the Judean hills, okay? And this is an important uh, landscape, all right? So the coastal Philistines were constantly trying to encroach on the Israelites here, 
They were trying to get this piece of property, this territory on the low hills of the east of their territory, and the Valley of Allah was strategically important. Okay, it was important because it was a corridor for the coastal Philistines to come in with their armies, and they were trying to get into Judah and the cities that they had, uh, Bethlehem and Hebron. Raise your hand if you heard of Bethlehem. All right, everybody should have heard of Bethlehem. So this was a very strategic location that this little valley was, and the Israelites, they were trying their hardest to hold on to this piece of property, right? It was a potential attack route for the, uh, for the Philistines to come in and overtake, and they were going to try to jump into Judah. All right, but, but now the Israelite and the, the Philistine armies were somewhat at a stalemate. Okay, as I said in Scripture here in verse 3, the Philistines were on one side, the Israelites on the other, and nobody was moving. They were both encamped across from the hills on the north side of the valley uh, to prevent the Philistines from moving up the valley further into the Israelite territory, and the Philistines were encamped across the hill on the south side of the valley. And they were there, and the only thing that separated them was this small little piece of property, this little triangle piece of property. Verses 4 through 11, neither army was moving All right, at this point. They were both just sitting there. But two times a day, Twice daily, the silence was broken. See, there was boredom going on in the camp. And the dude was getting tired. So twice daily, this guy named Goliath comes out. Right? Verse 4, Then a champion comes out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. That dude just sounds bad, right? Okay, so you say, Hey, Pastor Don's here, and he's going to take you out. Yeah, it doesn't really sound that very impressive. Uh, Pastor Don, you know, But Goliath of Gath! You know, that dude just sounds bad. He just sounds like a warrior, like a champion. And so it says, this champion come out from the army of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. I even like saying that. It's awesome. Whose height was six cubits in a span. Dude was huge. Okay? I'm, I'm an average. I'm, I'm going to say average guy. I'm probably more on the small side. But hey, I'm an average guy at 5'9". I'm nothing spectacular to look at. And so picture like, I don't know what this stage is. Jesse, maybe do you have a half, maybe? Two and a half feet? Roughly, I don't know whenever you were building it. I don't know. This is not my area. All right, so picture maybe probably even a couple more feet on top of me that this dude was standing. Just massive dude, nine feet, six feet in a span, was roughly nine feet, nine inches. All right, and there's some theologians that talk differently, but hey, roughly nine foot. He's over nine foot. All right, and so twice daily, this guy would come out, Goliath from Gath, and it goes through in verses five and six and talks about the armor that he had. In verse seven, that he had a, a shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. So the spear that he carried around was, was like huge, this, this big beam. And neither of the armies were, were moving here. And, and the word translated in verse 4 here in, in Hebrew, the Hebrew tongue, it's actually a dual word. Uh, ish benayim. Ish being man and benayim being in between. Alright, so this champion here, this Philistine champion that verse 4 talks about, is a man who steps out in between. He steps out in between battle in a single combat. This guy was trained for this. He did this for it since he was young. He, he knew he was a big dude, and they knew what they had, and so he's done this forever. And he starts boasting. In verses 8 and 9, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, hey, why don't you draw up into, into your battle array? Am I not a Philistine and you're the servants of Saul? Choose someone for yourself. Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If you're able to fight me and you kill me, we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you 
will be my servants. Now this boast here was not legit. This boast was probably more psychological warfare than it was an actual legit, we're going to handle this battle by one, uh, one duel. Um, but nonetheless, it was a real threat. The giant comes out twice a day, and he's intimidating the Israelite army. All of the soldiers, and none of them much taller probably than me, about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, none of them average, none of them are going out to take on this giant. They're all scared. And we see that in verse 11. Verse 11 says, When Saul and Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Every time this guy come out, twice a day, over and over. I picture it morning and evening, taunting the, the Israelite army. They were afraid of this guy. Fear struck their, their soul. Whether or not it was real, he was still intimidating God's army. No Israelite could see him beating this monster. Like I said, he was huge. Nine feet, nine inches tall. He had state-of-the-art weapons. Scripture talks about him. And he had an armor bearer that went out that carried his shield in front of him. His spear was the size of a, a weaver's beam. But David, let's talk about another character now. We covered Goliath. of We know that dude's bad. But let's talk about the other characters. As we're getting introduced into the stories, we see the Philistine army, we see the Israelite army, and we see Goliath of Gath. But now in verses 12 through 24, David, the Bethlehemite, and Judah now gets entered into the story. Now he shows up on scene. And when he shows up on scene, David isn't in the army. He has nothing to do with being in the military. He's a shepherd boy. He's the youngest of his brothers. The Bible describes him as ruddy. I imagine he was probably a small frame dude. He was out guarding his sheep. But back then, the Israelite armies were sustained by family members, right? So it's not like modern, modern military. When I went in the military, my family didn't have to pay any money. They didn't have to send me food. The army took care of me. Uncle Sam picked up the tab. I signed my life away and, and fed and gave me a mattress to sleep on most of the time. And so <laughs> they didn't have to do anything provision-wise. But back in the Israelite army... They, they would send provisions, right? And so Jesse, the father of David and the, son, the father of his other brothers, said, hey, gather this food here. Go take it to your brothers. Well, David shows up. Like I said, he's not in the army. He's going back and forth, watching his sheep in the, the field, in the, in the flock, watching over his flock. But he's taking food to his brothers and he's relaying uh, to his brothers and then news back to his father from his brothers. Verses 25-30, we see that David is starting to get inquisitive because he shows up and as David starts to show up, right as he gets there, Goliath starts running his mouth in his, in his twice daily rant, right? And so verse 25, then the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he's coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that king that will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and makes his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing with him in verse 26. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? David shows up on scene and he's like, whoa, wait a second, pump the brakes. Who's that cat? I want to know who that dude is that's talking smack about my God and about the God of our armies. I want to know who that guy is. Everybody's probably like, have you seen that dude? Shut your mouth, man. He's going to cure you. Are you serious? 
He's going to hear you. Knock it off. But David's like, whoa, no. I know you just didn't do that, right? And so David is trying to figure out what's going on. He hears them. And when Goliath starts to appear to battle, he starts doing his twice daily taunt. And David is appalled at what he hears, right? David is sickened by what Goliath is talking about. He asks some soldiers, hey, what's going on? And so, as you can imagine, young David, little shepherd boy shows up. He starts running, like checking out, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Guess what? Word starts going around the camp. They start trying to figure out who he was and what in the world is behind this guy. Because he's got a large mouth that he's running. Alright, verse 28. The Bible says, Now Eliab, the oldest brother, heard. He heard what he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, Whoa, why have you come down here? And with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? So his brothers are like, Dude, what are you even here for? I don't have uh, uh, any brothers, but I've got an older sister, so I can kind of imagine what's going on here, all right? Uh, But I can imagine it's even more so with your brothers, especially your older brothers who are like, dude, dude, I don't know what you think about, but we're in the army, right? You're not. You're a shepherd. You need to go back. Hey, God's calling. Maybe not. That was somebody getting pinged. All right, so (laughs) somebody's phone was going off. All right, so. David's brothers were like, whoa, dude, what are you even doing here? I know how conceited you are and how the, the wickedness that you have in your heart. I know why you're here. You came down here because you wanted to watch the battle. That is the only reason that you even came down here. I can imagine the conversation that's going on. But in verse 29, David, I love it because his answer is so characteristic <laughs> of a family argument. I love it. Probably something I would have said to my sister. But David said, what have I done now? Dude, get off my case. What did I do? He was like, was it not just a question? I'm just just curious. This guy's popping off at the jaws. Everybody's standing around here hiding behind rocks and tents. And y'all are just letting him pop off at the mouth. I want to go get some dude. What do you think his brother was like? His brother was probably like, whoa. His brother got, I'm sure, eat up with like embarrassment at David's naive comment because he's like, hey, I, I'm just trying to find out who that kid is because he's talking about our God. He had a bold faith in his God. He wasn't worried about his brother's attempt to silence him. He might have been the youngest brother. He might have been the littlest one there, but he wasn't afraid. Verses 31 through 33, now it's starting to get to the king. Now all of this talk, all of this noise is starting to get to the king's level, right? So 31 through 33, the Bible tells us here, when the words of David spoke were heard, he told them to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, I love this, this is epic. Let no man's heart fail on account of that guy. Don't, <laughs> God, your, your majesty, sire, don't even worry about that. Don't let your hearts be worried about that cat. Because I'm about to go take care of this guy. All right, don't let your hearts be, uh, your fail on his account. Your servant will fight this Philistine. I'll, I'll take care of this. I would have paid money to have been a fly on the wall of that tent. I'm telling you, I would have, I would have been like right there with a box of popcorn being like, this is awesome. I would have probably been hiding and been like, you go, you go take me. That's a big dude. <laughs> so David said to Saul, don't, let, hey, don't worry about it. Then Saul said to David, basically told him you're crazy. All right, Saul said to David in verse 33, then Saul said, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. You're but a youth, 
And he was a, a warrior from his youth. So, so Saul here was even an accomplished warrior. We know that Saul was this big dude. You know, when he was uh, anointed as king, he stood head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, we see in 1 Samuel as well. And this guy was an accomplished warrior, and he's trying to give David a reality check is what he's doing. You have lost your mind. There's no way you're going to be able to take out this dude. But David explains his confidence in God. He explains that he has faith in God Almighty that the battle is the Lord's. And he tells Saul that. He has faith in God. David, let's talk about him for a second. He was a combat-tested shepherd. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, wait a second, Pastor. That is oxymoron. You can't have combat-tested and shepherd in the same sentence. Right? That doesn't even sound like it fits good. But David was a combat-tested shepherd. He has experience. He wasn't just a mere shepherd. He had done mortal combat with a lion and bears. Okay? So let's talk about that for a second. Dude was fearless. He's out watching his flock, and all of a sudden a lion comes up and tries to take a, a lamb from his, his flock. He don't just stand there and throw a stone at him. Right? He don't just hit him with a stick. The lion grabs him and takes off with it. He chases down the lion and goes and grabs him and, and kills the lion. Right? And, he, and, the, and the Scripture says that he grabbed him by the beard and smote him. That's epic! How many of you would grab a Syrian lion that's up to 660 pounds and like smote it, grab him by the beard and smote it? Just nail the guy. Just hit the guy. The Persian lion is extinct uh, now in that area, but they were abundant back then and they were dangerous. The Syrian brown bear was also Palestine and it's extinct now. However, back then... Uh, bears grew up to be about eight feet tall. This brown bear was eight feet tall and up to 48 inches in chest, uh, chest or shoulder width. Like four feet wide. And David goes out and he takes out this bear because he's trying to get in. And King Saul was so impressed at, at, at what David was telling. He was so impressed about the stories that David was sharing he knew that none of his soldiers would go out and go up against a lion. And he knew that none of his soldiers would go up against a bear. And he knew none of his soldiers were going to go against Goliath of Gath. So he said, hey, you know what? I'm just going to give my blessings to you. Okay? Verse 37b, um, the Lord be with you. <laughs> because you're going to need it. Okay? So the Lord be with you. But David inspired spiritual faith in the king. He appointed towards him the power of God. So David said, Saul said to David, go. Go. You have got an awesome faith in your God. You're confident. You know that you're going to be taken care of. Go. And God be with you. But I imagine that King Saul, as he's sitting there, King Saul was probably convinced by David, but he was probably also weighing the probabilities that was going on. He was probably also calculating in his head, okay, there's some crazy stuff going on. Yeah, Goliath is next door. He comes out twice a day. He's demoralizing my armies. He's demoralizing my troops. And, and if this continues, I know they're going to desert. I know the guys are going to start leaving uh, one after one. They're going to just throw up deuces and be like, peace out, sucker. I'm leaving. So they go and they're like demoralizing and they're going to start leaving. But then if David gets down and he gets struck down by Goliath, Man, the worst that could happen is the Philistines would just attack us, and they're already going to attack us. So I guess that's not really a loss. But Saul, he isn't really entirely sure on it, on David's success. 
But the contest between both representatives, it was just a taunt. And it was just a boast. But if David wins, Saul knew that David had the chance of doing so. The psychological advantages over the Philistine army would be crazy. Can you imagine this little shepherd boy going and defeating this giant? The mental change that that army is going to experience <laughs> because their, their champion just got hit. So he knew it could be crazy. David tried on his outfit, though. David, uh, it says in uh, verses 38, then Saul clothed David with, put a on his head, clothed him with his armor. Verse 39, he girded, uh, he, uh, girded his sword over his armor and he tried to walk, for he had not tested him. Saul, I cannot go with them, for I have not tested them. And David pulled them off. He tried, Saul tried to put on this heavy armor. And like I said earlier, uh, Saul was head and shoulders above the rest. So that'd be like me standing up here with somebody that's six foot taller or, or taller, right? Saul was a big dude over the rest of the, the uh, people of Israel. He was already a big guy and he tries to put this huge armor on David. David's like, I can't even move in this stuff. I can't carry this stuff. I haven't even tested it and tried it. He had a bold faith in what God had already provided him. Guys, there's going to come times in life that the, that the world is going to try to gird you with their own stuff. They're going to try to put everything they can on you. They're going to say, hey, try this out. Hey, try alcohol on for size. It's great. It's awesome. It'll, it'll make you forget stuff, make you feel good. Hey, and when you feel good, God's happy, right? You're happy, God's happy. No, that's not how that works. They're going to try to gird you with all kinds of stuff. They're going to try to put their own armor on you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Have a bold faith in God, knowing that no matter what comes to you in life, no matter what circumstance comes to you in life, no matter what giant comes up and, and faces you in your life, and I promise you, if you haven't already experienced one, and if you're not experienced one, you will be experiencing one. You're going to have hard times in this life. But have faith in God. Saul, uh, King David, or not king at the time, but David, he, he took the armor off. He said, I can't do this. He said, I'm going to go up and David chooses his own armor. Verse 40. This out of love. 40. He took his, his hand that he chose for himself five stones from the brook. He put the shepherd's bag, which he had even his pouch, and he had a sling in his hand. He resorted back to what he knew. He grabbed his shepherd's staff. Just a stick, man. Shepherds back then had a, a rod and a staff. A staff was a little bit longer and would help kind of keep the, the sheep in the direction that they needed to go, and a rod was for correction. And David grabbed his staff, and he grabbed five, five smooth stones out of the dried, remember I said there was a dried riverbed, and he threw them in his pouch, and he threw on the sling. Now the sling here, sling was simple. A slingshot is not like these modern slingshots that we got that are pretty cool. This slingshot was very simple and it was cheap, cheap enough for a shepherd boy to make and practice with. And he could practice while he was out there and his sheep were uh, in their flock and they were gra uh, grazing. He could have uh, found this sling and normally it was just a pouch of leather and then it had two leather strings that come off the side of it. It was a projectile weapon used to throw blunt objects and it could do so with crazy speed. And if you practiced enough with it, you could do it with speed and accuracy. The sling normally back then was about the length of, an, uh, of your arm. So it would extend past my arm and arm's length. 
and that would be measured by the person. All right? So it was, they could throw them crazy fast. At the base of the city of uh, Lakesh in Judah, hundreds of, sl- hundreds of sling stones have been recovered. They're round limestone uh, rocks. They're about an inch and three quarters to two and a third inches in diameter. So you're looking at rocks, not like pebbles that we have in America. We're talking about like rocks that are like golf ball to tennis ball in size. Okay, and they're smooth, nice rounded, uh, nice rounded uh, rocks. And they can be slung. Think about that in baseball. You know, what are what, your baseball? So tell me uh, pitcher average in high school speed. Yeah. 82. At an average speed of 82 miles an hour just with his, just with his arm, just bare arm. 82 miles an hour. You start getting into college, you start getting into the major leagues, but you're pushing, what, 100? Pushing triple digits? 95, 100, 100 mile an hour fastball? So now picture that, not just your arm throwing that, but an arm's length past that. Spinning with the momentum, spinning with the velocity, these things can be thrown at over 100 miles an hour, right? Sweet. So the young warrior David doesn't take Saul's sword, but he rather he girds up with his shepherd's staff to go into close combat, and he grabbed his sling with five rocks just in case he needed to do it from a long distance. All right? And on his way down, he stops into a stream bed, and he picks up five smooth stones, and he puts them in his pouch. Just five rocks. Dude's going against a nine-foot, nine-inch giant. He grabs five stones. Sounds legit to me. That's what I would have did. So David and Goliath, they go, they go down there. So he's like ready. He's, he's ready and stoked for this. He's like, don't worry about this king. I'm about to go take it out. And verses 41 through 47, let's take a peek at this. I love this part. Then the Philistine came and approached David with a shield bare in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. He was like, what is this? You're kidding me, right? This is crazy. He said, for your buddy youth, and a ruddy one with a handsome appearance. At least he called, the hand, he called him handsome. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come down to me with sticks? Are you serious? You're going to send a, a kid to me, Goliath of Gath. You're going to send a kid down to me with sticks. Cute. Right? And so he's like, You're coming down here with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his God. Now, David, I can imagine his blood is boiling. And the Philistine cursed him by his, by his God. And the Philistine said in verse 44, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and to the beasts of the fields. That's crazy. That's, that's crazy. I'm going to kill you. You come down here with sticks. I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to give your, your body to the birds of the field, or to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. So the Philistine cursed him by his gods. And David deterred. David, it's like it didn't even bother him. It didn't even affect him as we go through the following verses. Because he knew he had faith in God Almighty. See, the, the giant, he had a vision. The giant's vision was to destroy David. He was about to make him a mark on the bottom of his sandal. Right? He was going to destroy this kid. But the boy had a vision too. He was going to defeat the entire army of Israel. Check this, or of uh, Philistine, the Philistine army. Then David said to the Philistines, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have taunted. Check this out in verse 46. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from your body. I will remove your head from you, and I will give your dead bodies, plural, check that out, I will give your dead of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all of the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by the sword or spear, but the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into my hands. David didn't even flinch. He was like, look, not only am I going to take you out, not only am I going to cut your head off, I'm going to take out all the rest of your dudes behind you. And I'm going to give all of your bodies to the birds of the air so they can have a snack. And I'm going to light the the beast of the the fields glean off of your bodies. Y'all defied the armies of the God of Israel. I'm going to take you out. I love here in verse 45, it uses the, uh, the word here. It says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew word uh, that is translated for name is Shem. And Shem in this passage is, a, is used in a special tense. It's something like our power of attorney, right? So when I was in the military, when I deployed to Kosovo, when I went to combat, my, my parents, I was young, I was 17 when I joined the army, my, my parents had power of attorney. So anything back stateside, my parents could handle. They could handle because they were acting on legal authority of my name. So when I needed bills taken care of, they would act because they're power of attorney. If I needed something bought, they would act because they were power of attorney. They had legal power to handle things like I was standing in front of whoever they were talking to. Right? So here, that, it's that same sense. It's like a power of attorney who has legal authority of another. So to come in the name of the Lord God Almighty means to come in God's presence, to come in God's power, to come in God's authority, and to, to come in His divine appointment. I like that because David said in verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you unto me. I've got a divine appointment to take you out and cut your head off. You've defied the army of Israel. He's coming in the name of God Almighty and He makes it clear that He's doing that. It wasn't a military battle at this point anymore. Now it's turned into a theological battle and it's demonstrating publicly that God has superiority over all of the other gods and everyone in this world will know that the God of the army of Israel has delivered you into my hands. And now, 2021, at 7.10 in the evening, I'm talking to you guys about a battle that happened thousands of years ago that he's still renowned and known worldwide that David killed a nine foot nine inch dude. And everyone will know that he killed a nine inch a nine a nine foot nine inch dude because of God's power, because he had a bold faith in God. Verses five forty five through forty seven we see that the battle belongs to the Lord. Guys remember that. This spiritual heart of this whole lesson that I'm talking to you tonight about the account of David is all summed up here in verse 47. So many times in life we put our own trust. We put our uh, we try to do things in our own strength. Or just as bad as we, we when we are going through things, we start to feel powerless and we start to feel uh, defeated because we don't have any power within us left to give. Now on this occasion, David articulates a basic principle of faith. God will act on your behalf. He will act on our behalf when we trust in Him and be obedient to His voice. You have to act and be obedient on the voice of God. When God tells you to move, you get up and move. When God tells you to 
say, you sit down and stay. When God says to be quiet, you be quiet. When God says to talk, talk. Guys, there's going to be times in your life that people are going to come against you. You have to remember to stand firm in your faith and stand firm on what God has taught you. Stand firm. Have a bold faith. This, this whole principle, being obedient to God's voice, is reiterated over time and time again in Scripture. As we come to a close, verses 48 through 54, then it happened that the Philistine rose up he came and drew near David. I like that too in that passage. He rose up. So I can imagine that he's sitting there. Goliath was probably like kicked back. I, I picture him just kicked back leaning. Like seriously, you're coming to me with this. You've got a kid coming to me with a stick. That's huge. And he was probably kicked back waiting. But then here, after David gives his spill and says, You've got a, I've got a divine appointment uh, from God Almighty and I'm going to take you out. Now Goliath is like, He's furious. But then it happened when the Philistine rose, he came and drew near to David to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Guys, guys don't ever go into somebody's circle. All right? And, time, and there's going to come times in your life that people are, are messing with you. They're, they're, talking, they're talking smack. They're talking about you. They're doing all kinds of things. But don't go into their circle. If you don't have to get into their circle... Don't do it. They're trying to aggravate you. They're trying to poke you. They're trying to prod you. And they're trying to get you in the flesh. Don't go into their circle. But see, when somebody starts coming into your circle, stand firm in the belief that God is going to handle your battle. Alright? Here, David, we see that. Goliath started coming at David. He's like, I'm about to squash you like a bug. And David, he said, what does the Scripture say? And then David rose up. He ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. 49, and David put his hands into the bag and he took it, uh, a stone from it and slung it all while he's running. And he took it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. Goliath said at that point, nothing like that has ever entered my head before. I think I'll go laugh down. Little passage out there. You can insert laugh at any point. Alright, so David throw the stone he hit him in the forehead, struck it, and it says, Scripture says that it sank into his forehead. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, he threw the rock so hard that this rock just bounds the dude and nails him square between the eyes and sank into his forehead in so much that it says that, that he fell on his face onto the ground. <laughs> I would have loved to have been there. That's awesome. And then David ran over and stood because remember, he prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone in verse 50. He struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword. Remember, because David said, I don't need a sword. I don't need to, to put on your armor. I don't know how to use that sword. So I don't even need that, sire. You, you keep your stuff. I'll take my stick and my stones and my, my sling and I'm going to go get this guy. He knocks him down. David was like, you know what? I made a promise and I'm going to keep that vow. I told you I'm going to kill you. And I told you I'm going to cut your head off just so everybody knows that Goliath of Gath has been killed by David. And everybody knows that God is ultimately over all of this universe. So David goes over there, stands on this dude, draws out his own sword, and cuts his head off with his own sword. Can you imagine the jaws of the Philistine army? They have probably hit the floor. I can't even imagine the look on their face. Goliath of Gath. 
dude's huge. And that kid just got his head off. God. Now I can imagine David reaching down and picking that thing up and doing just like that. I drop. <laughs> Epic. Epic. Now we see that in those verses, it's time for the talk to be done. It's time for action. Everything happened quickly. Goliath's death was devastating. As, as David stands there and he picks that head up, it was devastating to the, to the Philistine army. And Scripture says, and the Philistine army fled. They left the area. They beat, beat. They popped smoke. They were gone. Right? That's a military thing for you, popping smoke. Goliath's death was devastating. Their morale <laughs> just hit empty on the tank. Their morale-o-meter was gone. Right? All of this happened in moments. One moment, they're standing there with, with the Israelite army on the other side of them. They knew that they knew that they knew that this champion of theirs was about to squash him. They were probably standing there going, guys, we're about to have to go clean off Goliath's sandals because he's about to squash him with them. And then all of, them, all of a sudden, the next moment, their champion is lying on the ground and some boy is cutting his head off. That's crazy. The momentum shifted just like that. What I want you to pick up from this as I close, what I want you to know tonight is to keep that bold faith like David had in God. It wasn't in our abilities. It wasn't in our own power. It wasn't in our own strength. It wasn't in our own wisdom. It wasn't in our own knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge is good. School is good. But I could care less what kind of degree you've got on your wall. doesn't matter. All that matters is if you know that you know that you know that you trust in God and you have that relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit power living within us, we can have that bold faith that this young boy had. We can have that same faith. Faith versus fear. We have to be motivated. We, can't, we, we, we need to be motivated primarily by faith and not hindered from our actions by the fear that lives in our lives. We have to be motivated by faith and not hindered by the fear. God's glory is always more important. It's always more important than our own victory in life. Sometimes you're going to lose, and that's okay. But did God get the glory? I'm reminded of a story of my grandpa. My grandpa, had he was diagnosed with prostate cancer years and years ago, 2001. Diagnosed with prostate cancer, and they said, they said, Junior, or George, it was his name, we called him Junior. His prostate was the size of a grapefruit. It's supposed to be the size of a walnut. He's like, and this is the best doctor at Medical College of Georgia, up in Augusta, one of the best hospitals in the state of Georgia. He's like, I'm not even going to touch this. I, there's no way that I can operate on this. No way. The horse is out of the stable. You may have a year to live. Maybe. Go ahead and get your, your effects in order. But my papa had a faith like David. He ran on Mark eleven twenty four. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. 
that was the kind of faith that my granddaddy had. And he said, you know, Doc, I appreciate you. I mean, you're, you're at MCG. I really appreciate it. You're a really smart doctor. Um, and I, I thank you for everything you've done for me. Um, but I, my God's going to touch me and heal me. And he's like, well, whatever, you, whatever, Mr. McClegg, you know, but we'll try to operate. They did operate. <clears throat> they weren't able to get all the cancer out. But my granddaddy lived on faith. He had that bold faith that I'm talking about of David. Ten years go by. And my granddaddy was still there. And every year, guess what he had to do? Every year he had to go back to MCG to get tests just to make sure that the cancer was gone. And every year he got to tell the doctors, hey, how you doing? Mr. McQuaig, God healed me. Remember Mark 11, 24, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive and you'll have them? That's what I did. Just a grain of a mustard seed, guys, is all it takes. If we have the faith, size of a grain of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. My granddaddy was blessed with 10 years later of his. 10 years. I don't know the reason that God healed him. I don't know why. But one thing happened, and I was with him in the hospital, and I'll close with this story. I was with them in the hospital in Savannah. Cancer had come back on him in 2011. So 10 years went by, and he was over in hospital on Savannah and I was there with him and a nurse walked in the room as white as a sheet flipping through the chart Mr. McQuig and he was like yeah what are you doing here and he was like well I'm having some issues with my stomach his stomach started swelling and stuff I'm just having issues with my, my belly. I need to get some fluid drainage. He's like, no, no, no. Now, you don't remember me, I don't think. I'm trying to inquire, what are you doing here? I was your nurse 10 years ago at Medical College of Georgia, and you're supposed to be dead. And he was able to share the gospel with this nurse who left that room like space, like trying to figure out and wrap her mind around what just happened. Did she give her a heart to Christ? I don't know. I hope on the other side of glory I will get to see her and see that story. Maybe that was the only reason that my granddaddy was healed, but he had that bold faith that David had. Guys, stand on that bold faith of God that no matter what's going on in your life, his cause affects his kingdom and his glory is always going to outweigh anything that we have in our life that we're going through. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, I pray that you would just help us as we look through this account of David. Lord, thank you for uh, your word, God. Thank you for uh, just sharing uh, with us the importance of having that bold faith that David had. And God, I pray that you would give us a bold faith, just like David had. Uh, God, I pray that you would just forgive us for thinking selfishly, Father, that that things uh, happen for, uh, for us, or for us living by fear rather than by faith. But God, I pray that you would just help us to take the word that was given tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives, that it would light a fire within us, God. Lord, that we could live that bold faith that you called us to live. In Jesus' name.